Welcome to the Sleep by Shay podcast. I'm Shay Morrison, sleep expert and co-founder of The Goodnight Co. Join me each week for hints and tips on all things sleep and follow me on Instagram at Shay Morrison. Hello and welcome back to the Sleep by Shay podcast. We have made it to part two of our sleep and weight loss series with Joanna Sharp where we discovered that the lack of sleep is associated with poor diet choices, decreased physical activity, and ultimately weight gain through changes to our hormones, behaviors, and emotions. There were some great learnings from Joanna in part one, so let's get stuck into part two. Welcome back, Joe. It's great to have you for this part two episode. Really, what we want to talk about today is probably more for the people that want a little bit deeper dive into this correlation between um, obesity or weight gain and sleep. It is such an important topic. And I think that in part one of the series, we covered off some of the general factors that are involved. And today you've got some interesting studies that we want to dive a bit deeper into. And I'd love you to start with um, just painting this picture about what is sleep deprivation? Thanks, Shay. So I guess sleep deprivation is, you know, different for different age groups, depending on the sort of, you know, amount of sleep that you need. But a lot of the studies seem to categorize it as less than six hours sleep. I have seen somewhere it's less than five. But I guess in terms of painting a picture, I mean, reading through the studies, it definitely, you know, threw a light on my recollections of, of shift work, myself working at night and, um, yeah, where you'd sort of build up this sleep debt because, you know, over the course of a week you'd be working every night and often not catching up in the days as much as you needed to. Um, and for me it just really um, was quite descriptive of the sort of metabolic changes that you can see. You can really almost feel in yourself how lack of sleep and having to stay awake because you're, you know, doing a job, for example, does actually impact your metabolism. So I guess to kind of draw a picture for you, we know that sleep deprivation can make you more impulsive and, you know, impact your behaviour and your likelihood of, you know, probably snacking on the wrong foods and also um, hunger comes into that as well. There's also when you're, you know, I remember this so well, roaming around the wards at night time, as a resident doctor, you know, there's the availability to eat at times where obviously you wouldn't normally, but just for longer periods. So you're kind of exposed to, you know, snack foods on the wards or, you know, wherever it might be. Um, So really your energy consumption goes up because of those factors. But at the same time, your body tends to kind of slow down your metabolism. So you have altered thermoregulation and you can often feel sort of cold, like it's like your whole system kind of cools down. Um, and you're also more fatigued, obviously. So actually your energy expenditure is reduced. So obviously those two together, increase energy consumption, decrease expenditure, is going to lead to gaining weight over time. So it's definitely something to kind of tune into if you are a shift worker or if for whatever reason you have you know, things going on in your life that are impacting, you know, your sleep over a long time. So you're building up a big sleep debt, which might be, you know, new parents with a young baby where they're not sleeping the way they would normally. 
And so thank you because I think that that paints a really good picture for people um, how and also probably how quickly um, this can catch up with you. And I guess on that that point about um, catching up, we really can't bank sleep and it is a little bit hard to play catch up. So for somebody who might feel like they're in this position, if it is a new mum or they're a shift worker or they've just been really struggling with sleep and they're wanting to make this change, what what are some of the things that you suggest that they start with so that they can improve um, and in knowing that this is going to take a little bit of time, it's not going to happen straight away, but they mm. will, because really this is what we're trying to do. We, we, I guess what we're saying is we can't bank it, we can't catch up on it, but if we make the changes, we will see the benefit. Mm. I mean, I think just recognising these issues exist and tuning into them, so understanding that it may impact your normal you know, hunger and, you know, your likelihood to eat foods that you wouldn't normally so that you're not as, you know, pro, you're more aware if you're prone to doing those things. But in terms of the actual sleep itself, it's definitely about, you know, prioritising it as a commodity that you need to carve out some niche for. And obviously, if you're a regular shift worker, that has to be in your daylight hours. So mm. um, it can't be that you're working all night and then you're at home with the kids all day and running around doing errands and, you know, trying to fit in a couple of hours sleep, it's just going to really catch up with you. So um, as hard as it can be, um, it's about valuing that resource that has to be protected. Absolutely. Because we talk, you know, often about the three pillars of health, diet and exercise and sleep. And Mm -hmm. often this third pillar of health is not prioritized or forgotten about and not really talked about a lot. And mm. I think that when we're having this conversation about, you know, one of the the notes that, that you uh, had sent through is the fact that there is a worldwide epidemic of obesity. So this is mm. a, a really uh, big problem in today's society. And we have so much access to so many different types of food that never used to exist in this format. Um, and we need to, I guess, understand how this is impacting sleep. And, you know, in knowing that th- these three things, these three pillars, diet, exercise and sleep, need to work cohesively together. I mean, we can see that this worldwide epidemic of obesity has been paralleled by a trend of reduced sleep duration. And, this is all in the context of us living in this 24-hour society where we do have, you know, access to all sorts of stimulants, you know, obviously caffeine and screens and, you know, sugar, anything, all, all hours of the day and night. Um, and as well as that, there's, you know, food delivery services in most major cities. You know, you can have whatever you want to eat at any time during the night. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's... And some people can find themselves in quite a dysfunctional situation where they are eating things that, you know, really they shouldn't be. I mean, I've had patients who, for whatever reason, I had a patient who used to drink milk throughout the night, like she had a litre of milk by her bed and she'd be waking up drinking that. And I'm not sure if it was part of treating reflux or, um, but it's funny how these things just become like, oh, well, that's just what I do. You know, it's just, um, it just had become her normal, but obviously that's a lot of calories to just be consuming for no particular reason during the night when you're actually supposed to be sleeping. So it was probably also disturbing her sleep architecture. So, um, I think it really is just about education and awareness and 
bringing it back to the simple things and yeah. yeah trying to relearn some of this stuff because we have had this availability um you know of everything at all times all the apps on our phones and things that you can tap into at any time it's almost like we do need to kind of recoil a little bit from all of that and just create that space that is just sleep and protect it absolutely and i love that terminology sleep architecture mm so maybe yeah. tell maybe if if you have if people haven't heard of that before what what's your definition of sleep architecture? I guess it's just the the cycles of sleep that we go through, and a lot of people have heard about rapid eye movement, uh, which you know you can actually see in someone when they're sleeping, and that's often when they're dreaming. But that's actually a, quite a shallow point in their sleep, and then you know the more deep sleep is actually a slow wave. Um, and that's quite restorative. And we know that certain conditions can impact that particular part of your sleep architecture. So, yeah, I guess it's just if you were to draw it out, it's it's just showing what your sleep has done over that night. So if you were yeah. waking up and looking at your phone or drinking milk or whatever it might be, it's it's impacting that nice sort of picture of what your sleep is supposed to be doing to help refuel your brain and your body. Yeah, I know for me, um, I track my sleep with an aura ring. And so I have this, um, we talked about this uh, earlier, but it was, you know, it gives me a really good picture in the morning of what is happening. So this, I, I can now correlate that to the sleep architecture around mm. what it looks like. And I know for me that um, often I struggle with deep sleep. Um, and so it's, it's an interesting way to look at it over a period of time and understand what's happening in your day um, what's happened in your day, what your sleepers look like that night over a period of time to work out what are some of the, th the patterns that are emerging so that you can start to make some of those changes. Yeah, exactly. I think it's all about, yeah, becoming your own body's sort of research scientist yeah. and kind of looking for those correlations and trying to hone in on, yeah, what, what gives you the best quality sleep and what might be going on for you that you hadn't even necessarily recognised as a stressor but possibly is playing out in your sleep architecture. So, yeah, yeah it's definitely a, a valid point. And I think that they can be things, um, anything from a partner snoring or having, you know, waking up often. It could be that you've got a dog in your bed, you might have a child in your bed, you might have too much light, um, mm -hmm. you might be drinking a litre of milk at night. You know, there's so many things that can be happening that are disrupting this. And the ultimate thing that we're trying to achieve um, in all of this is to get a great night's sleep so that you wake up feeling good. And I think um, tracking that, keeping a diary of that and knowing how you feel in the morning is going to be a great indicator for that. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that we talked about this in the last episode was around this 24-hour society that we're now living in. So this is having this greater impact on um, not allowing people to get good sleep. What do you think people can do, I guess, to to take note of it and to make some changes? I think we talked about it, you know, in that first episode that, you know, obviously a lot of these people are essential workers who help to provide, you know, healthcare and transport food yeah. across the country or whatever it might be. So they're not going to be able to, to stop doing that. And um, we're not about to stop shift work. But I think shift workers do need to really um, prioritise where they are going to carve out that niche to catch up on their sleep each day. And um, I guess things like making sure that they can find a dark room with no noise. So sort of creating a little habitat that's a bit 
similar to what the most of us find when we go to bed at night time, which is, yeah, darkness and quiet. Yeah. And not trying to take on too much in that time because it's not like we would commit to, you know, working all day mm. and then, oh, well, during the night I'll just, you know, pop out and pick up a friend or you know, pick up the kids from school or yeah. I'll go and, you know, I'll just go and do the shopping quickly mm. and I'll make some food for the week and we just yeah. wouldn't do that in the middle of the night. But I think mm. sometimes when you're a shift worker and it's daylight and the kids are home or, you know, whatever it might be. So I just think you have to really look after that daytime where you need to sleep and create your little space. Mm, beautiful. And one of the things that I'd really love to dive into is um, some of the research that supports this topic, really important topic. I know that there are a few research mm. studies and I'd love you to um, to talk a bit more around it, around mm. the evidence that's supporting what uh, we're talking about with sleep deprivation and obesity. Yeah, so the studies seem to indicate that sleep is really an important modulator of neuroendocrine function and also glucose metabolism. So neuroendocrine meaning the nervous system and hormones. So there's all sorts of hormones that play into your uh, appetite and your body's metabolism and usage of, you know, glucose and other, you know, things that you've eaten. So um, fat and, you know, all your metabolism is kind of impacted by that. Um, but as a broad overview, yeah, reduced sleep tends to reduce your glucose tolerance and also your insulin sensitivity. And these are things that over time can cause diabetes. They increase your evening cortisol, um, probably because of the sort of stress on your system. So cortisol is more of a stress hormone. Reduced sleep also increases ghrelin, it reduces leptin, and through these pathways it increases hunger. So you're more likely to eat things that you may not have if you'd had good sleep. So there are about 50 epidemiological studies that have been done in different geographical regions, so all around the world, on that association between sleep and obesity. And the majority have found an association between short sleep being less than six hours and an increased obesity risk. And so this is really, you know, the conversation when we're often talking to people about needing that seven to nine hours, this is where the conversation comes into play is that it's not because the number's being plucked and just decided that that's what we need. Our bodies mm. really need that for a yeah. number of different reasons, but one of those being this conversation around obesity. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's kind of where they've landed is that less than six hours is really a pivotal number um and yeah seven to nine is ideal and and really to get six good hours of sleep you probably need to be in bed yes yeah. at least seven hours because it takes mm. that time to fall asleep and you know you might be restless at some point um but there probably one of the biggest studies was a meta-analysis of 18 of these studies from around the world and it uh, totaled six, over 600,000 people, so a really large number, um, which showed a, a pooled obesity odds ratio, which is your chance of being obese, is actually one and a half times higher if you get less than five hours sleep. Mm. And there's a dose effect of your sleep duration. So every additional hour of sleep will decrease your BMI by 0.35. And when they look at the cohort of women, it shows that the effect of this is even stronger with the obesity odds ratio being over three. So you're mm. more than three times more likely to be obese as a woman if you're getting less than five hours sleep. 
Mm, and that's a massive, massive wake-up call, isn't it? Mm. And and this is where we need to be looking at it. So us poor women, but, you know, we're going through so many different cycles and stages through our life, you mm. know, when we're having um, the, in the child-rearing um, stage where we definitely probably are getting a lot less than seven hours sleep a night um, yep. for a period of time. And then we move into the the other crazy stage of perimenopause and menopause where often um, sleep is also affected. So for women, really, I guess the call out here is that, you know, for women we really need to take extra care around the prioritising of sleep. So true. I think um, we just, um, yeah, probably don't allow ourselves to kind of catch up and, and recognize yeah that it's such a priority in our lives and I think it, those times are particularly busy you know child rearing years you know just you, you're not prioritizing yourself let mm. alone your sleep and then those perimenopause years hit at the same time where you're sort of in that sandwich generation where you're looking after older relatives as well as still kids and teenagers and yeah I think um it's just a, another timely reminder that women do need to prioritize their health as well. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, the, the hot topic amongst a lot of women is, is this topic, is weight gain um, mm-hmm. and understanding that there, there are a lot of contributing factors that are in, in their control but also out of their control. So understanding how to, um, to address those individually and personally. Yeah, and I think that there can be a lot of frustration around you know, being told the things that may have contributed to your weight gain. Um, yeah. For a lot of people, they just feel like, oh, I've just tried everything. I've tried all the fad diets and I've, you know, joined the gym and it didn't work and now I've just given up or, you know, and then if you start saying, oh, well, you know, what about sleep? And they're just like, oh, you know, I can't change any of that anyway. And it's just mm. all, can all feel too difficult sometimes. And like we talked about last episode, um, you know, understanding that, obesity is a chronic disease Mm. and that can be really annoying you ask anyone who has a chronic disease whether it's asthma eczema diabetes epilepsy you know you kind of like well I've got this thing for life and Mm. that is the same with obesity it's not just a passing thing that if you just do this quick diet then you'll be fine Mm. you can press on with your life it will unfortunately you know revisit and you do need to keep coming back to these you know essentials Mm. of diet, exercise and sleep to help address it. Yeah. Sounds so simple in theory, doesn't it? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I I absolutely get that frustration, um, you know, that a lot of people have when we sort of try to address these things. But I think it's just sort of that slow drip effect of just and just awareness, just Mm. bring your awareness back. Yeah. And and another question, Joe, that I get asked a lot is around the sleep apnea conversation so how is sleep apnea related to um obesity and sleep where does it fall in Mm. the conversation and um yeah love you to share a bit more about that yeah I just think you can't talk about the association between sleep and obesity without talking about obstructive sleep apnea because Mm. there's a huge number of the population who have this undiagnosed and it is absolutely playing into their quality of sleep and as we talked about, can lead on to obesity, but equally the obesity will worsen their obstructive sleep apnea. Mm. So effectively what obstructive sleep apnea is, um, is recurrent episodes of your upper airway obstructing during sleep. And then this 
basically lowers your oxygen levels. So your brain is sort of constantly being jolted awake. It's called a microarousal as your oxygen goes down. And that leads to an overall sleep fragmentation and sort of this increased sympathetic nervous system drive. So that sort of fight or flight, like your body is just, you know, really stressed out by this Mm. every single night when you're sleeping. But unfortunately, yeah, as you put on weight, your chance of obstructing your airway actually goes up because physically when you're lying on your back and your stomach pushes up and your chest wall is bigger, it's pushing up against your airway. You may have more weight around your neck even. Um, You can even have softer airways. And as you've gone through time having obstructive sleep apnea and those airways sort of getting a bit more floppy from Mm. getting, you know, stuck together, they will then obstruct more easily. So it's a bit of a um, cycle, really, Mm. that just continues. Um, Like I said, it's really common. In the US population, um, it's in about 24% of men and 9% Mm. of women. It's high. But, yeah, but in the severely obese men, it's 93%. Wow, yeah. And 73% in severely obese women. So it's almost Mm. like, you know, most of them will be Mm. obstructing during their sleep. Yeah. And then, like we said, that obstructing will then reduce their slow wave sleep. And then that we know, you know, suppressing slow wave sleep will go on to increase your hunger. So in mm-hmm. the daytime, you're there, you know, you're, it's almost like you're trying to make up for the fact that you've had such terrible sleep by, you know, wanting to eat these caloric dense foods. So foods that you probably wouldn't normally eat as much of. So or, the, you know, the greasy foods or the takeaway mm, or, you know, ice cream. Yeah, and quick, fast of, food. Yeah. 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 Um, there's also a decrease in growth hormone, which is secreted during slow wave sleep. And growth hormone deficiency is associated with putting on more weight around your organs and your uh, middle, so visceral and central obesity, and they're both risks for, uh, for heart disease. Yeah, so they're all things that, um, you know, some people can relate to. And I think that the the key message in a lot of this is that we need to just go and get some advice on it. You know, if it is something, if I was having a conversation earlier with somebody who was saying that um, their partner has started snoring and, you know, and, and has put on a bit of weight recently. And I think that the best advice is to go and seek some medical advice. There are some really simple sleep studies that can happen or some more, um, you know, complicated and, and um, you know, time-consuming studies. But going and getting it checked out at any point where you see a change, I think is the best place to start. Yeah, I think it's just one of those things that unfortunately, you know, can be put off. You can just sort of you know, get by with the snoring and the poor sleep and it becomes your normal. And the same as blood pressure, um, you know, you don't necessarily know that it's a problem until you go and have it measured and then address the issue and turn towards, okay, well, what what sort of things do I need to do to yeah. help, you know? And, and getting a regular... Getting regular health checks is also great because then you can um, measure things that may have changed so that you know um, you've got a base marker that you can then measure over time to see what is changing. Yeah, like you said, the sleep studies are very easily done these days. So your GP can easily refer you for a sleep study or there's actually companies now that do the sleep studies and they'll do them even without a referral. So um, they're quite accessible. But it is, again, it's about prioritising yourself and your health and making that time because, yeah, once you've had this, you know, there may be a quick, easy sleep study, but then you've got to actually commit to seeing your GP and possibly a specialist to look at yeah. the treatment options and what needs to be done from there. 
And with the sleep studies, my understanding is that there are there's some options around there's at home studies or there's in clinic studies. So I guess that's dependent on which which way your doctor or what you would like to do. Um, yeah. And they they can happen quite quickly, I believe. Yeah. I think that there's there's definitely increased availability, particularly in capital cities now, to be able to get them done quite easily. I think that the ones that are done in-house are probably more in-depth, but certainly mm-hmm. it's a very good screening test to start with one of those at-home ones. Um, and for many people, it's you know possibly more natural and obviously easier to do than having to take a night to go and stay at a clinic. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Joe. Um, for people that are wanting to get some more advice, because obviously this is something that you specialize in, um, uh, where can they uh, reach out to speak with you? So our um, main approach at the moment, um, or our main sort of focus has been on obesity management as well as on menopause, but we certainly do look at sleep and sleep quality and the medications we can use to help with that. And um, we're at uh, Juniper, which is um, myjuniper.com, and we're also on Instagram, so they can jump on there and have a look. And um, there's a really awesome community on there of uh, people who are going through similar things. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining us again, and um, I'm sure that we will speak again in the next season. Thanks, Jay. Thank you for listening to the Sleep by Shay podcast. If you're interested in learning more about our guests or any of the topics we've spoken about today, head on over to the show notes for all the details and sleep advice you need. If you like what you're hearing or are sleeping better, we'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe and listen along with the Sleep by Shay podcast to wake up looking and feeling your very best every day.